You are listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 336, brought to you by graphically and iFanboy members like you. One, two, one, woo! iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast episode 336. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Howdy. And because Ron is off sitting in this week is Ryan Hopps from iFanboy.com. Hello. And like I said, he's from iFanboy. We're all from iFanboy.com. We like comics. We read comics. We read a bunch of comics. One of us picks the best one, writes about it on the website. We talk about it on the podcast along with other books of the week, other topics of interest, all kinds of fun comic book related things. Before we get to the show, a quick reminder and a warning. It's this review show. There'll be spoilers. If you haven't read the books yet, pause and come back. Cuts down on complaining, and really, that's at this point in my life, that's all I want. Just Less. just be quiet. <laughs> so everyone, be quiet. I want to take a nap. <laughs> Daddy's had a long night. Shh, shh, give me a drink. Shh, shh. <laughs> this week, uh, unlike last week where they dumped the, buck, the truck of books on us, this week was a light week, and Josh had to pick. It was a wee bit sparse. Luckily, after I got through my books, I can't say I expected this, but I looked at them and I thought, you know what? Cobra number 13 from IDW, that was the best thing that I read this week. You loved this book. I really did. and uh, In general, you love it in general. Yeah, I, I, I do. It's got a great feel to it, and it's been consistent all along. There's this quiet tension, and it doesn't... Like, there are other G.I. Joe books, and, and, and I'll read them from time to time, and, and they're good. They're fine for what they are, but they're kind of what you expect. And they, you know, some will be a good G.I. Joe book, and some will be like a fun G.I. Joe book, and some will be dumb. But Cobra is, take, you know, we've said this, it's, it's a little hard to come up with things that we haven't said about it, but take the G.I. Joe out of it, and it's still a really good book. It's basically a, a, a spy game kind of thing. There's, a, there's the good guys, and there's the bad guys, but. Everyone is very gray. Everybody's switching sides. Everybody's holding their cards close to their vest. Like and, real spots. Yeah, yeah. And you just you just don't really know what's going to happen. And, you know, this is all uh, laid over with the G.I. Joe versus Cobra, you, all that whole thing. And it, The endless battle for... Yeah. For which, you know, which, as you know, if you watch the, the cartoon or you read the comic books or whatever, you know, nothing really changes. They shoot at each other. Well, at one time, they buried a bunch of Joes in a pit. But <laughs> yeah, they did. That's great, by the way. Um, oh God, I could still see that page in my head. Uh, <laughs> the, the something Viper. I forgot he had a special name, but the something Viper, a giant machine gun, and just mowed down like Quick Kick and Doc and all these people. Well, my childhood I, dying before my very eyes. I really should have known better than to come on a show when GI Joe was pick of the week. <laughs> like it's how yeah, we're gonna hit the hour mark, and you guys are still gonna be talking about the cartoon. And then and then Doc shows up in the kids' window. I mean, he had it coming, to be honest. But regardless of all that, the book is far better than it has any right to be while being a licensed property. It defies all of that logic. And I know that for some, they read the first series and maybe read the second series, and a lot of people dropped off in the Cobra Civil War where they sort of try to integrate it with the other books. And I That's get that. I yeah, I, and I get that. But I, for me, it's always been pretty good. The last issue, number 12, was a huge sort of button on the whole Chuckles story. <laughs> That's a that's a ridiculous sentence. And then this one is sort of starting up again. This is a really good jumping on point, actually, if you haven't read it. Number 13, where 
they've had everything's kind of been wrecked. All Cobra fell apart because there was a little there was a civil war in there, and they're all trying to be the new Cobra commander. Uh, and then G, you know they infiltrated the pit, and it got destroyed. Uh, the pit is GI Joe's home base. Even right now, it sounds ridiculous saying it out loud in a serious way as an adult male. I don't want to, but the fact is, the you know, it's just a damn good book. And so what we have here is that the Joes, if they've sort of fractioned a little bit, and, and so some of them are in one place and some are another, one of the cells, it's like a little cell structure, is located in Las Vegas in a, in a casino. That's their new base, which they thought, yeah, which, and, and, and the big surprise. Because they get bored. Yeah. There's lots to do. Well, no, there were all sorts of real reasons. There was, you know... Nobody thinks twice about blocked off restricted areas in a in a casino. Like they're everywhere. There's helicopters arriving and going away from the 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 roof. There's, you know, dudes in suits and sunglasses. There's all sorts of stuff going on that the public doesn't really pay attention to and be, makes good cover for that. There's the question of if civilians uh, are, are at risk, but I guess they weren't worried about that. The big reveal here is um who bankrolled the casino and I, I don't want to wreck that but it's it's a really good moment and then the reaction of uh, this one character I think it's Chameleon and she was a Cobra agent from the very first series and then she got turned to the Joes and sort of the middle part of her story was that they didn't know if they could trust her but she was working for them and they had her under sort of lock and key and then she helped save some Joe lives and, and now she's fully against Cobra it's playing with her emotions. She was involved with Chuckles in the in early on, and she was used as an asset, and, and it was a big deal. There's a segment at the for the first third of it is this segment where there's this uh, this female uh, ninja character, and she's not Jinx. <laughs> she might as well be. Her name is Ronan, and she's like been she's been trying to hide and be peaceful, and she's tracked down by this group of uh, Cobra Vipers. And there's several pages with no dialogue where she's just fighting them and killing them. It's a really wonderful bit of comic book storytelling. The The way that the pages are used are sort of, it's very quiet. It almost is like if you were watching the scene, it would be under very, if it was a movie, it'd be, you know, very sort of light, kind of quiet mu- music and everything moving sort of slow motion. It was, uh, it was a really wonderful sequence. And the thing that I think makes this book really good, Mike Costa, the writer, he does a fine job. He's got the characters. He's got the tone. He never puts too much. Although I noticed when there is a lot of exposition, it just doesn't feel that way for whatever reason. But Antonio Fuso, the artist, is really very, very, very good. You know, And he's a guy that no one talks about. Maybe because he's well, just... I think part of the problem with dropping off the book was he, he went away for a while. Oh, yeah. And I think that really affected the book negatively. And people don't talk about him because he's doing an IDW G.I. Joe book. Right. No, it, and it all makes sense. And, and it's true. But when he does it, it's really special. And and that this was just more of that. It was just a great sequence, a couple of sequences in this. And I think it's a good jumping on point. Not that there's nothing in it that, that doesn't refer to the past. But like if you read this and you go out and pick it up, and I really do hope some of you do, if you go, I like this, then you can easily go back and get the stuff that comes before it and fill in. And, and you'll have a really good time. But Fuso, a man, talk He's just an underrated guy. He reminds me a lot of Jock, actually. It took me a little while to figure out what that was, but he's definitely got a sort of very different style than a lot of people out there. It's not over-rendered. It's great storytelling and sort of sparse, really nice sparseness, but also just a little bit of, it's just a little loose. You know, not everything is uh, is, is perfectly formed, but it, it all works very well. I just loved this issue. I think I went through G.I. Joe Burnout when they did, the re- they did the relaunch with the Cobra Civil War and all the books were connected and... And I and I think the when Fuso dropped out and this and the Cobra story got dragged into the whole thing and I just kind of walked away. I have this issue. I have the last one. I just haven't read either one because every time I sit down to do it, I, I get distracted. I don't know that I feel the pull to read it. Sure, I probably will once I actually do. But 
for now, I just sort of feel Joe'd out. But I will eventually. Well, 12, 12 and 13 are going to give you that feeling yeah. that you, you used to have with it. And I think for me, the key has been I don't read any of those other books anymore. Like I was reading Origins, I think, for a while. But then that, when that one went away, that was it. I tried a couple of them, but it, it wasn't the same. But this one, you know, just like before, you don't need to read the other ones. And there wasn't much Serpentor, which I think helped. Yeah, that, that, I didn't love that story. Though. That was oh, and there's a there's a you're gonna appreciate the reveal at the end, okay. the very well, last I'll page. Read, I'll read them this weekend. So this week also saw the end of one of our favorite books, Irredeemable Thirty Seven from Boom Studios, Mark Wade and uh, Diego Barreto, I think yeah. drew it. It's too bad that that uh, Peter Krause couldn't come back to do the final issue. Interesting ending. I don't know how I feel about this, and I consider that to be a generally good thing. I mean, yeah. I really liked All-Star Superman number 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, did you read this whole series? I did. I picked it up based on your guys' repeated recommendations, and I've been on issues for a while. But for some reason, it didn't dawn on me that this was the final issue. And so when I looked at the front cover and it said, final issue, I was like, wait, wait what? I wasn't quite ready for it mentally. So I went into reading it with a bit of shell shock. But... Yeah, it happened. I got to say that recently this series has wandered for me a little bit. It got very far into pseudo comic book science, comic book pseudoscience, where it was just all these, you know, big physics concepts and, and, and super intelligent beings battling each other and got to be very metaphysical as opposed to action or character oriented, really. It's a lot of really smart people outsmarting really smart people. I didn't, I didn't, like, I didn't love that part as much about the series. But yeah. What I liked about the, f- the final issue... In this issue, uh, and I forget the guy's name. It was Cubit. Cubit. Yeah. He. he James Syme. That's who it is, yeah, right? He has a plan to defeat Plutonian. He puts it into place, and he makes Plutonian fly around the world. Otherwise, he's going to die because he's got this bullet in his heart that will actually kill him. And so he, he basically ends up saving the world from the radiation and poisoning that had been in, that had been in place, and he ends up dying himself. And we had found out that Plutonian was kind of like a concept come to life. That part kind of lost me. The, the, the explanation of what he actually was. But I like the idea of turning the whole story on his head in that originally this was a twisted take of Superman. And <laughs> what happens in this issue is that since Plutonian is more of an idea that was brought from, to form by a sort of mentally disturbed woman, the idea is, is once again put out into the universe and ends up itself creating Superman through Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I kind of like that as a nice button on the whole series. Our it, version it of Superman. A, like the, the fictional, yeah, the real, like they, they, he go, it ends up in Cleveland in 1938, and uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Siegel has, suddenly has the idea of a Superman, and he runs to Joe Schuster's house, and they he starts drawing the Superman that we recognize from there. Right, which it didn't say it was 1938 in Cleveland, but the kid runs into the house, and the woman says, "Oh, you have vault," and I'm like, "Whoa, hey, do people still is that do people still <laughs> so talk like that?" They, they do. I liked that it took that concept of this is a Superman inspiration and became inspiration of Superman. I, I like the kind of Mobius trip of that. It, of it was very Mark Wade. Like yeah. the dude is is the, no one loves Superman like Mark Wade does, and like it fit. I wasn't sure if I liked it. I know it wasn't that I didn't like it. I think it felt a lot like watching the end of The Sopranos, where I was just like, huh. And you think about it, whether you want to like it or not, and and you know it all makes sense. It fits. I think I liked it. Yeah, I'm going to go with yes. It was a kind of redemption in a way, right? Because that wasn't Mm -hmm. what Cubit was saying. He was saying, like, maybe while I do this and spread you back out across the multiverse, you'll finally do good instead of being awful. So in that sense, the the, Irredeemable does good. He he brings the world Superman and Superman as an inspiration and all that stuff. So I I like that part of it. I'd be interested to read the whole thing in a row because, honestly, it's not like that. 
I feel like Irredeemable's been around forever, but it's only 37 issues. You know, I think you could sit down and read them all through and see, if, see what kind of story holds together through that whole period of time. It's like three and a half years. Yeah. Which I guess is a lot, but it doesn't feel like it. It's three uh, fat th- trades. Yeah. Oh, this week also brought the return of Batman Incorporated number one. Grant Morrison is back with his Batman story. My favorite part of this issue was the <laughs> yoga-esque gymnastics people have gone through trying to figure out where the story fits into the continuity because the Batman with Life and Strikes one-shot, which this continues from, very clearly states on the cover page, on the title page, this takes place before Flashpoint and the New 52, and yet in this issue, he references things that have happened in the Batman and Robin book and, the, and when Robin killed nobody, but he's still wearing his old costume, and it doesn't really seem to fit into the New 52. It's just fun to watch people try to fit it in because they can't enjoy it without knowing where it goes. I just enjoy the crap out of it yeah. because it's Grant Morrison returning to Batman. And and really, no one writes Damien like Grant Morrison does. Yeah, I, and you were you were talking about this on the website that Damien has been sort of a non-factor since uh, since the relaunch of DC because Pete Tomasi writes him differently than uh, Morrison had. It just feels like a different character. And and as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, that's there's Damien. There's the <laughs> there's the attitude we want. That's the it's right for whatever reason. It feels it feels really right. I, I, you know, I did the same thing. I I, did, I figured it didn't fit in anywhere. I just sort of read it as its own thing, and I, and it works very well for me. I didn't know about the killing thing, but I sorted it out. You know, if you put Morrison's story in its own little bubble, anyway, it's, it's probably works the best for anything he writes. But yeah. I also was really impressed by Burnham, who we've always liked, but I think it's getting better and better. And in this issue, he's really you know making a name for himself. I mean, there's a couple of amazing sequences. One of them was the panel of the week where Robin fights in a circle. That's very yeah. quietly esque. Um, just it's just a wonderful. I was thinking how different would things have been if after quietly left Batman and Robin, instead of going through that rotating cast of artists, Burnham had just done them all. I think you would have had a book that was been much more lauded than it was because I think it dropped off the map mm-hmm. after quietly left. I think even even later. even the, those all those people weren't necessarily bad. No, but I think the rotating cast of artists hurt that book. Yeah, it hurt the consistency of it. I think, but you no, know, you're like the, for me, the story of this book was was really Burnham's work, which was even you know it was even better than the last time we saw it. I feel like he's you know don't he's cry got this down. I know it's I know it's very exciting, but. I just keep waiting for Leviathan and the Court of Owls to get a turf war because <laughs> both both of them are being written like they've got the final say of what goes on in Gotham. It should be noted I don't really remember what Leviathan was or what happened in that book. Apparently, it's a really big owl. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't I really care. Sense. You know, the thing was, is, for, as a new reader, someone jumping on it, you don't necessarily need to know yeah. any of that stuff. It's explained that bat, you know Leviathan is a bad organization. I did actually have a, a continuity moment. That I was curious about uh, is the Batwing in this the same one is in is that has that series been canceled does that still exist? No, that still, that still exists. Still goes on. It's he's slightly different. I think he's supposed to be dead here, and he, as 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 an old, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that part it, confused me too. And the, then there's the old versions of some of the outsiders. So it it, it really is in its, in its own Grant Morrison continuity bubble, which is fine because you really don't need to read it. It's it's on its own, so you don't yeah. need to read anything else. And Grant um, Morrison really likes putting bad guys in creepy animal masks. Cause it's creepy. That was a great. That was a great sequence. There's blood everywhere. But I'm, I'm just glad somebody finally brought up the the fact that Gotham means home to goats. I'm, that's been bugging <laughs> me for a while. <laughs> yeah, the fight in the meat packing, or I guess whatever you want to call it, the animal processing center with with the animal blood everywhere and the carcasses. It was pretty disturbing. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but it ends with the, with the bat cow gag, so that made it all that made it all worth it. It uh, worked. Just wonderful. It, it made me remember how much I missed Morrison writing Batman. Yeah. And again, Batman's been great under Snyder and, and other people, but that's it's a, it's a different kind of Batman story. Mm-hmm. 
The next book, Ryan, I'm really interested about. Cause I thought about picking it up originally, but I didn't end up doing that. So it's Hulk smashes the Avengers. And uh, I, I originally had this as Hulk versus the Avengers because, you know, when I think Marvel books with their heroes fighting, I just go straight to verses. But it's actually Hulk smash the Avengers. This is number four. It came out. It's a story by Jim McCann, art by Carlos Padilla and Jamie or Jaime Mendoza, depending on how that should be pronounced. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's the <laughs> it's it's a series of one shots. Essentially, it's this is four or five where they are going through Marvel history and recounting the times where Hulk has fought the Avengers. And it's really it is that simple. So the first one was early in the formation of the Avengers, and they try to mimic the art style and the writing style. And this one was our 90s West Coast Avengers versus Mr. Fix-It in Vegas. That's a good time. Which I never read West Coast Avengers. I never read any of the Fix-It Hulk. I know about them through just being a, a comics guy, and I was able to pick this up and really enjoy it. Jim McCann, as always, does a good banter between Hawkeye and, and Mockingbird. And it was it was always fun to see an old Iron Man costume in use, and yeah, it was just. Is that the fun. is it the red and silver one? It was the red. And oh, silver. I love that costume. That was my God. that was my first. You you might need to pick this up, John. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Really is it really is Mister Fix It as strongest there is? I've I've got full blinders on for anything versus or smashing or they'd really have to bring that up to me. But that does sound like you a also good don't time. love the Hulk, but yeah, that's see, true. I, I don't know why I don't know why I picked this book up in the first place for some reason just like the Hulk smash the event the title caught me enough that I picked up the first issue and it was kind of throwbacky and kind of fun and I, I dug it so I've stuck with it and each issue has been a little bit different but they've all brought something interesting and fun to the table and just good comic fun I wish Lee Weeks had drawn and if he had drawn it I definitely would have got it he does the covers for all the issues he's fantastic he doesn't do much interior work anymore if he had drawn it I would have definitely got it this sounds like it's in the vein of those old Remember those old Avengers miniseries, Josh? The Josh, the Joe Casey ones. That sounds like it's in yeah, that kind of yeah. I think it is. It is very much in line with those. You get to play around with it a little bit. So this was the first week for Jeff Lemire on Justice League Dark, and number nine. number nine. And I would like to say that right away, I'm really impressed by the art of Mikel Janine. I think yeah. uh, it's a very good looking book. Uh, that's all that I have to say about it. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not that bad. But I, I will say that. This suffers the non-English person writing John Constantine, and it, it does. I'm, he's Canadian, so technically he's a subject of the crown. It does. It, it, it doesn't matter. It didn't sound like him. It didn't sound like him the whole way through. And I kind of, I get that he's in the he's in the the DCU proper now. I kind of don't care because it's not. It's just not the same thing. Like I'm like I, I'm like John isn't doing any of this. He's not doing any of this. I've been reading that character for 10 years and this isn't happening. No, I know that. I exactly. And so I can totally be fine with saying this isn't this isn't my thing. And so when they cancel the Vertigo book in my line, then I just they won't he won't be around for me anymore. <laughs> I enjoyed this. I like the fact that it's an offbeat Justice League and there's all these different characters who really do fit more in the Vertigo world and DCU world acting as superheroes or, or having to act as superheroes. I like their dynamic. I like the fact that none of them really get along. I know that's a cliche for us team books, but in this sense they really just they just don't get along. Mm-hmm. They're very different kind of people. I like the, you know, there's a new team. There's the they brought in the vampire from My Vampire, and they brought in this other character whose name I don't remember, um, Black Orchid, and they got rid of Madame Xanadu and a couple other people. And I like the dynamic. I love the art's fantastic. I, His... I've been liking this book, and not loving it, but liking it the whole way through. But I think this is probably a better mix than than it was before. Yeah, his facial expressions are really very good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, yeah, it just it just didn't feel right to me. 
but well, it's not going to be. A, it's, it's, no, and and I know. Uh, it's like reading, you know, Batman in one book and reading a, yeah. a Johnny DC Batman book. It's not going to be the same character. He is. He's the Johnny DC John Constantine. He still smokes. I would smokes. like to actually see that book, an actual Johnny DC Constantine. I would love to write that book. Has he ever shown up in Tiny Titans? <laughs> I, I, I would doubt. God, it. that would be amazing. <laughs> and like he, he'd have to have like a like a candy lollipop cigarettes. or something. No, you can't have candy cigarettes. It's just. Yeah. They still there's, sell them in Tennessee. There's a store by me that sells candy cigarettes, and I'm just like, I just, I feel like this is very irresponsible. I had them as a kid. I had a photo well, yeah. of my brother with, you know, hanging out in the street corner with chocolate cigarettes in our mouths, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, Go parents. <laughs> they were good though. I remember. I didn't. I never. And I never actually smoked, so I guess it wasn't a big problem in the end. But. No, mine were like a sort of a, like a powdery, chalky kind of right. candy cigarette. So like the first, the first puff you took, if yeah. you blew out, you could actually get a little cloud of. Yeah. Of dust smoke. Then there was the kind with with really rancid, awful bubble gum in them. Yeah, the, the puff one that's fucked up. They probably still spell big yeah. league chew as well, which is basically they just do, training so. training tobacco. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Now that you mention that, I realized that as a kid, I of course really. I, well, I, I, I don't know anything about tobacco. I grew up in New York City. I yeah. played Little League. I had Big League Chew. You know, I didn't know. know it was. I didn't know it was tobacco. Partner. You know what's funny is that now I feel awful. That's only occurred to me just now. I thought it was the. I thought Big League Chew was the coolest shit in the world. Yes. And I and I remember like being like, what happened to that? Where it's not around anymore. Why? Because Cause everybody graduated to tobacco. Because it's chewing tobacco. tobacco. Oh. That's terrible. It's yeah. so chewing. Tobacco. I remember being in high school. And people started to do like like ha- take chewing tobacco, and I was like, "Why would you? Why would you do that? That seems horrible." And they carry their little bottle around with the spittle yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. Did that get all started with a gum? Yeah, it might have. All right, we've gotten off topic. Did you guys have Johnny Smacks, the bubblegum heroin? Was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, just us. Yeah. All right. See, <laughs> so you New York City in the eighties, man. On that note, if you're a creator or a publisher. You're looking for a way to get your book in front of as many eyes as possible, as easily as possible. Graphically is the best solution to do that. You can upload your books, your comics, your children's books, your sketchbooks, your photography books, just about anything graphic-based. And just a few simple steps, you're on your way to getting into Amazon's Kindle store, Barnes & Noble's Nook store, Kobo, and of course Apple's iBook store. There's no need to have readers find a specific app just made for reading comics. You can send your readers to the digital bookstores where people are actually going to buy books. And with 29% of all adults now owning tablets and e-reader devices in sales in 2011, increasing over 300%, from the year before to over 3 million ebooks sold, that's a lot of potential customers. You can find a full list of pricing and services at our website. Head over to graphically.com for more. There we are. This, now, if you want to talk uh, fun times this week, Batman The Dark Knight number 9 features the cover with Tim Drake fighting a talent, one of the soldiers mm-hmm. of the Owls. And uh, the solicitation to mention Tim Drake's return to Gotham City. He's not only on only one page, he's not only in only one panel, he doesn't even have a line of dialogue. It's not even him fighting a, a talent. He's just sort of standing in the background next to Nightwing and Robin. So Tim Drake's really become the T-Dog of the Batman universe. <laughs> well, the whole discussion about Damien that we mentioned earlier came about because I said Tim Drake's completely unnecessary to DCU right now. And you say this as a person who really, really likes this character. I do, but he is. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a fact. The way it is right now, he, he's, he's not Robin. He's not Nightwing. He doesn't really have a place. He's in Teen Titans, but... The problem is they had a good character in Damien who's now a boring character. Now they've got Tim Drake who's a non-entity. And so there's really there's some house cleaning needs to be done. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe an event. <laughs> maybe a death. Maybe, yeah. a, maybe a gay death event. <laughs> gay they death could, event. They could have a gay death oh, event. They get a lot of press about that. 
I t- maybe the gay character should be Tim Drake, although that doesn't seem to fit with his past. I know I talk about this a lot. The Unwritten, which went on its sort of every other week point five thing this summer, which should have been terrible, but was actually very good, which lets it get away with doing point five numbering, came out with issue number 37, which is sort of the next story. And what they've done is shoot forward in time and sort of realign all the pieces on the board where Tommy has become this sort of pseudo-religious figure and cults have sprung up. And because of these cults, people have gone missing. And it's a story about a cop who's gone undercover to try to find them in a, in a character who's sort of their high priest who looks a lot like Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes place in Australia, this story. And it was, it was again, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really good book. It's, they, it is packed full of content. You know, he'll have pages that have, like, clippings from blog posts and different websites and stuff like he that. He really puts a lot of work, yeah. Carrie. A lot of work into this book. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's so consistently, you know, good-looking and, and, th- and thoughtful. Uh, and, and the like the vampire guy wrote a book about everything that they went through and, and now he's sort of semi-famous and it's like that thing with, with Daredevil, you know, where everybody kind of knows he's a vampire, but they're not sure and, and they just like, it's a, it's it's neat. They just move the, the world forward and we're in a new place and we, we didn't even see Tommy in this issue. Great next step. I guess it could go on a little while longer. Problem 25 came out this week and this was the first issue where I was doing more head scratching than not. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. So I was a little behind on Profit, so I caught up this week, and I wasn't expecting to get to an ending with Profit 23 of a storyline, because I I kind of, I don't know, I kind of just expected this entire book to meander for a while longer. And so Profit 24 kicked off a new storyline, and Profit 25 is the next arc in that story. And it definitely, yeah, it was uh, not what I was expecting. The, The best thing about Profit had been up to this point, John Profit's exploration of this alien world. And then, as Ryan mentioned, we, at the end of that storyline, he met up with a bunch of other prophets, men who looked just like him. And then, uh, then this issue that we meet some other ones, we follow them around, some weird stuff happens, and then at the end, the prophet's alive, and he puts on the helmet that looks a lot like the old prophet from the, uh, the old image days. So it's the first sort of callback to the original prophet story. Which, not having read any of that, I didn't get at all. I was just... I, I, I haven't read anywhere. I just know the imagery from prophets. I know it okay. He had the very specific helmet that goes down over the sides of his face, and he puts it on at the end. This book this? really reminds me of The World Below by Paul Chadwick. It's like mm-hmm. a six-issue series that came out. I think Dark Horse republished a collection of it. But it has that same kind of like dark, murky, underground exploratory feel, and there are these big, looming giants called the Nephilim, which there's been a lot of, there's a lot of religious imagery and, and nomenclature going around in these books, which I'm curious to see if that ever becomes anything but it is curious and uh it was, and the art was interesting it wasn't as good as the last two artists was Charles Dalrymple and Simon Roy uh this time it's Giannis Emilio Giannis it was good very different very European but the storyline is a bit obtuse and that's saying something for this book which has been <laughs> obtuse has been a good thing about it this was like super obtuse but it was still fun just not as good as the last couple so do you guys remember about a year ago Chew number 27 came out. This has been yeah. giving me an anxiety attack all week. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I keep reading 26 and thinking I'm somehow off. Nah, well, you're. It, it's not your fault. <sighs> 26 came out. So 27 came out last year and then like right after issue number 18, I think. Something like that. And then so now we've gotten up to present. And so all of the things that were kind of... And, and 27 was a pick of the week, it should be noted. All of the things that were confusing about that are now going to start to get explained with Tony Chu's sister who works at NASA, which is not the same NASA, just like, you know, the FDA is not the same FDA. Oh, it's the same. Well, sure. <laughs> you, just, you just don't know. You don't know what really goes on at NASA. Those guys are armed? I don't think they can afford guns at this point. They've arrested people for stealing space rocks before. Cool. 
you have to give them credit for massive coordination and planning a really long ways away and over and over coming up with characters who are completely different than anything i've ever read and very interesting you know i can't think of her name but the sister her name's tony isn't it yeah yeah Yeah, that's why i can't think of it i was like that's not right it's you know and she's just completely she has to bite people to tell what she thinks of them um you know it's fun it's like it's always been but i i was impressed by the the sort of forethought to make this work it's interesting they're going to re-release 27 next time with uh, really with new yeah. pages and new uh, stuff to get you to buy the issue twice. I don't know if I'm going to, but no. <laughs> but uh, I, I'll, I'll flip through it. I'm really curious because yeah. I, I feel like at this point I want to go back. What's here's the thing: when they do the trades, are they going to do issue 27 when it came out? Or oh, we I, we talked to him about this a really long time ago, like a year and a half ago, and I think not. I think that when you read the trades, you're going to read them in order like anybody else. This is just yeah. a thing for the issue readers, if I if I recall correctly. Um, that makes the most sense, yeah. Yeah, that's I wouldn't. I don't. I I want people to know that when the next when twenty seven came out, that they probably already bought it, even though there will be new things in it. But you know, what can you do? Those Beware. Are the books we read this week. Uh, if you go to fanboy.com slash comics, you can make your post, rate, and review your books, and you can make your own pick of the week. We're gonna t- do some user reviews, but first we're gonna go down the top five picks of the week from the iFanboy community. Number five was the Amazing Spider-Man 686 with 2.2 percent of the votes. Number four was Chew 26 with 2.9 percent of the votes. Number three was Mind MGMT number one with 6.5 percent of the votes. Number two was Justice League Dark number nine with 23.5 percent of the votes. And number one was Batman Incorporated number one with 53.3 percent of the votes. It should be noted that my pick of the week, 0.7. Point seven. Point seven. Well, it doesn't matter because ultimately you're the only one that matters. It, no, it's it's totally true. I'm cool with it. First user review up is Tim Drums talking about mind management. <laughs> management. I want to say management. It's a web 2.0 website. Yeah, it is. Comic book. Mind management uh, number one from Dark Horse by Matt Kent. Gave the story a five out of five and the art a three out of five. And the pick of the week percentage was a, a, a pretty healthy 6.5%, like Connor just said. And he says, layers within layers. Mysterious amnesia, secret conspiracies, and the feeling that maybe this is all in the mind. Without a doubt, this book deserves and needs multiple readings. And as there's really too much going on and just to skim through. The best comic I've read in a long time in terms of new ground broken. Highly, highly recommended. I'm not a fan of Kent's artwork. I think with a different or better artist, this would be a five-star book. And that was his his whole review. Did you read this? I tried. I read it. I gotta say, I really I wanted to try. It didn't grab me. And I I'm off and on about Kent. I really liked Super Spy a lot, but even that took me a really long time to get into. And I think that his art is a bit of an acquired taste. Is you know, if you're looking at it in terms of what you're looking at traditional comic book art that you're just seeing all the time, there's a lot of talking heads and explaining in this there was a lot to read which isn't necessarily a bad thing it, it's a book but it, i did i had a hard time getting into it and, and this I, might have been my pick of the week yeah yeah i loved it it was great i mean this is this is like matt can't doing inception as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i i liked the asides i liked the little weird like archduke ferdinand bit and i like that i, I, like, I wanted more of that <laughs> i'm not surprised but i just yeah every, i'm totally on board for this it looked great i i'm a Pretty big Mackin fan. I like his more esoteric work. Like I really liked Revolver, mm-hmm. the end of the world book he did, and this to me was up there with with that in terms of quality. And I think his art is fantastic. Yeah, I think I want to like him a lot more than I actually do. I think it's just one of those things that like I'm like, well, people seem to like that a lot, and I read it, and I don't think it's bad. I just for whatever reason I I don't connect with it. Maybe that's um, something about you, Josh. I really liked Super Spy though. I was I thought that was a ton of fun. 
took me forever to read though because it's, it's a dense this, book yeah very dense and it's little vignettes so it's not like it yeah makes you push from one to the next like oh i finished that one i'm good for now dicks reviewed green lantern <laughs> new guardians number nine being adults you did that on purpose Story, I I admit nothing. Story four out of five, Nart four out of five, and zero point two percent of you made it your pick of the week. And Dix says this issue features Saint Walker and his fellow Blue Lanterns in their defense of their homeworld. And while this isn't quite as compelling a story as last month's, it's not bad for big flashy lantern action. This is also an opportunity to dig more into the nature of the Blue Lantern Corps and Saint Walker's place in it. Though not a deep story by any means, the art and scripting are both solid. The Blue Lanterns are as racially diverse as any core, so there's more than a few few neat aliens in there. It's kind of interesting, a ring powered by hope, and the fragility that inevitably brings, more so, I would think, that fear or will or rage. I don't read this. <laughs> I did, no, no, I, if you don't read it, then you know that no one else does. I thought it was very interesting that it seemed like a bunch of people actually liked it. Like, it, it's pretty good, and I think that, for whatever reason, all of that, in the post-Blackest Night world... You know, people sort of ran away from it a little bit like that. That'll do, but it's still going. The people who read this book do generally give it good marks on iFanboy. So I think it's, for people who want those storylines, I think it's a good one. Yeah. But I don't know. That's just me speculating. You don't want that. You just want, you want Hal Jordan in the apartment looking at a bunch of bills going, what do I do? That's right. Yeah. Is that so much to ask for? I, I don't think it is. I think it's fine. That is all that we have for the user review segment. If you want to be part of all this, make sure that you make your pull list on, on Mondays or anytime thereafter, really. iFanboy.com and uh, rate your books and make your pick of the week choice and do reviews in any of the ones that you feel you have something to say something to say about. So let us move on to the emails. We've got a large crowd participation segment coming up. We have our first email from Andy. He says, I got back into comics about 18 months ago after a decade-long hiatus filled by the Army, college, and grad school. Once I got back into the hobby, I became something of an evangelist amongst people I know. Literally no one else hooked into it in any meaningful way outside of a random graphic novel. My question is, why don't more people read comics? The medium has a visual nature and a small amount of reading required and it is populated with characters most everyone knows. When I've gotten answers as to why people avoid comics, it is often because of A, expense, B, comics are for kids, C, panels are confusing. None of these are very satisfying answers to me given the silly things people spend huge amounts of money on and lots of things that adults do were that we were once considered childish. The panels things blow my mind as I had no idea how to respond to that. What are your thoughts? That's the billion-dollar question, isn't it? If we had the answer, we could sell it to Marvel and DC. First and foremost, Andy, it's Memorial Day this Monday, so thank you for your service in the Army. That was awesome. Good job. And, and, then, and then going on uh, to yeah. higher education, which Ryan also likes. Grad school is uh, – I, I feel your brother. Yeah, if we could sell the secret of this to, to Marvel or DC, we could make upwards of ten to $15,000. <laughs> I think I think I think it's like anything else. There are myriad reasons why people don't, and I think through the three listed are three reasons why, amongst others. Uh, I've often had people ask me how they're supposed to read panels when I hand them a comic for the first it's not, time. It's not a normal thing, and, no. and some, some people's brains have a problem processing that. Is that really a thing? I've never yes, heard that. Yes, oh absolutely. yeah, oh, it's yeah. been shown that that some people have a problem figuring out how you read a comics page. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why there's understanding comics because. Some people don't understand how you put together pictures and words in that manner. Scientists have to put together uh, posters for conventions a lot where we you know, show our research if we're not giving a talk or whatever. And the number of times I've helped people with their poster design based on what I learned in understanding comics is <laughs> myriad. It is a problem. It's not a huge problem, but it is one problem. Expense is a big problem. You're not going to get many kids plopping down four bucks for a comic. Comics aren't for kids is the stigma. There's a, there's a distinct 
distribution problem. They aren't in most places people live anymore. They used to be found everywhere, supermarkets, newsstands, the local uh, drugstore. Now they're basically in comic stores and maybe one or two other places. There's lots and lots and lots of reasons. It is one of those. To me, I think that the main thing is, it's funny because on one side, the comic side, we can recognize that it hasn't done a very good job keeping or attracting young readers, kids, whoever. There are certain ways that they try to do it. But by and large, if you know you see your standard comic book out there, it's, it's not written for kids. You know, Even just like an issue of Superman or whatever. Now, on the other side of it, the larger populace thinks that comic books are for kids. They literally see it the same way that you know some people just see that something is animation and they think, oh, it's a cartoon, it's for children. And they don't give it another thought. Now, we have been, as an industry, as a, as a hobby, battling that idea for three decades now, you know, as, as they matured and, and almost to a fault where they, they went too far. There really is something about the medium that people just toss it aside, which to me, in my whole theory on comics has always been that it's just another way. It's not a theory. It's just another way to tell a story. It's no different than a novel or a TV show or, or whatever version. If you have a story, it's, it's a way to tell that story. And the rest of the world gets it a little more, I think. But in America specifically, you know, people just don't think of that as their form of entertainment. And if you do, then you tend to specialize in it. You tend to be, you know, about comic books. There aren't, it feels like there are not casual comic book readers other than like a guy who is a roommate to somebody who's a serious comic book reader. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also, there's a lot of entertainment choices. Yeah. When comics were super popular in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there were a lot of other things to do. You had the radio, you had the cinema, you had you know, magazines and pulp. Yeah, I was going to say, candy pulp. cigarettes and a stack of comics. Yeah, and, and Johnny Smack. So, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, the I feel uh, good, Mom. <laughs> now I feel bad. Now I feel very, very sad. This bring, uh, just brings you back to normal. So, it, it's, it's tough when you've got, you know, high-end video games. You hand a kid a video game or you hand him a comic and you say, which one do you want to do? Most kids are going to choose the video game. And it's do you just, want to it's, read about Batman or do you want to be Batman? It's tough. The era might be over, and I think people who read comics love them don't want to think about that. But you know, it could be that the time has come and gone for you know this kind of entertainment. Well, fortunately, yeah. comic fans are notoriously adept at uh, <laughs> dealing with change, so that's right. good. We'll be fine. So it's it's tough. There's why don't people read them? There's, there's, do you think, there's so many reasons why? I I've, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but do you think that there's anything to the idea that people who read comics are so so? lately happy to label themselves with i'm a geek and this is the geek thing i do like and i think that that's damaging because because what it does is it puts comics in a subculture it makes comics other than the mainstream you know people don't say they're a book geek some might but most people just go people do yeah i know but but then then that's that also labels them as, as, as part of a subculture too right but but the but the the vast majority of people out there you know who who read a book are just like i like to read sometimes you know, like they read books sometimes. And there's no reason that comics can't be that thing too, it, to my mind. There's there's a lot of, you know, reasons that it isn't, I guess. But it could be just a thing that people read, you know, adult contemporary literature or or however you want to put it, but with illustrations, you know. I don't know. I, just, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of sort of perception changes that would have to be made over a long period of time. And, and, and this era of big superhero movies hasn't done a damn thing to, for that. Yeah. I don't think. It's different. Yeah, people people enjoy I, the characters, but doesn't mean they're going to read the comics. No, I literally met a guy sitting on a shuttle from the airport yesterday who I had a, a Superman, you know, say no to Kryptonite shirt on, and he said like, "Oh, I like your shirt." I go, "Thanks." And my uh, somebody mentioned like, "Oh yeah, Ryan really liked comics," and the guy literally said, 
yeah, I don't read comics, but I really like the movies. Did you like Avengers? Mm-hmm. Comic book movies was the subculture that he was excited to be a part of, not comics themselves. Yeah, which is superhero movies, really. It's not even a subculture. It's just culture. Yeah, I don't think yeah. Road to Perdition was on his list. So No, no. I love that Harvey Picar movie, man. <laughs> Rocked. Yeah. So we could, we could go on there's this lot, forever. There are lots of reasons. Yeah. There's not one silver bullet that's going to solve the problem. We don't have a solution for you. Alex writes and says, buying habits question, what's your thought process behind buying a collected edition of a book you've already paid for and read in a different format? Is it mostly a matter of thinking the book will be read better collected? Is it more a collector's mentality matter where the specific hardcover or another is such a seminal piece of genius that you must own it in all forms? For me, it's definitely a combination of both. As I buy all monthly issues digitally and I'll buy collected editions of things I was either waiting on or things that I already bought but just had to have in a more grandiose format. Now, I thought this was interesting because, Connor, you buy a lot of collected editions, yeah, often of I, things that you already own. Well, it's also different now than it, than it even was even six uh, about a year ago in that I don't even I don't keep my single issues anymore. I give them away. So the, when I buy collected editions, usually, A, something I've been reading only in trade, like Walking Dead or Invincible or DMZ or something like that, or Unwritten. That's just my way of reading the story because I only read it in trade. Or something I want to read again. For instance, I just, you know, I got the Batman hardcover. I got the Catwoman hardcover. I got uh, things like from the New 52 because those are stories I want to read again and I don't have the issues anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's the way I prefer to read comics. So for me, it's my way of consuming them. If I wasn't doing the show, I wouldn't buy single issues. I just read the trades. But since we do the show, I got to read the issues. But then after I'm done with them, I give them away. And then I think you'll keep the collective editions. What's it take for you to buy something that you, I mean, you, you bought stuff that you had collections of, but then went and bought, you like you like the big fat. Well, I have th- I have a soft cover, hard cover, and absolute version of Dark Knight Returns. I have a soft cover and a hard, and an absolute of Watchmen. I've got a hard cover and absolute of Crisis. I mean, if it's a major book that, mean, that means a lot, then I'll, I'll certainly buy it in multiple formats if their formats are interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, it's mostly, about, it's mostly just about reading, though. Ryan, as a, as a transient, perpetual student slash uh, smart person, do you like to burden yourselves with these things, or or? So most of the comics I bought, uh, well, I so I used to be almost exclusively a trade waiter. I wouldn't read anything in issue. And I would just wait for everything. That was more in college when I had a, a, a good local comic shop that I liked that was getting new trades in every week. Since I've moved out of California, I haven't really established myself with a new comic shop, so I've switched over to buying almost all my single issues digitally, which means that if I'm up on a book digitally, I still won't get the trade when it comes out because I feel like I've read it. So at this point, my collected edition purchasing habits basically center around, does my girlfriend need to read it? Therefore, what should be mad if I don't get it? Which means I buy Walking Dead and Fables when those come out. And then pretty much every other collected edition goes on just my Amazon wish list for Christmas time. The one book where I've gone out of my way. So I have the absolute and the soft cover of New Frontier, but the only book where I've really gone out of my way to get the new hard covers when they've come out is Sandman. Hmm. I the absolute was, or the No, no, the uh no 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 not Sandman Neil Gaiman. Uh, oh. I said Sandman, I meant Starman. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's actually that's a really <laughs> that's good a example. Gaff. That was sorry. <laughs> that's actually a really good example because the thing for me is I do it differently than in either that. Once I read something in an issue, chances are I'm not gonna A read it again or B wanna get the collection of it. Even on stuff that I liked, you know, a bit. You know, like for me to go buy the collection of something, like it has to be a really big deal and and i've got trades that i didn't rebuy but starman is actually one of those like i bought 
all of those. And I gave away all my trades to somebody at like an iFanboy event or something like that. And there's a, there's a handful, it's a smaller handful in Connors of stuff that I will sort of double dip on and, and, and revisit in that format. So for me, like it, it, to get one of those things that I bought before, I, I, you know, like I have all the BPRD, those big deluxe editions that they've oh, been releasing because yeah, they're beautiful, you know, and I, I want to get, the, I, I only have the first Hellboy one, but I'd love to get the rest of them. I just haven't got around to it, you know, but other than that, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot. I, I bought all the powers, like uh, deluxe hardcovers, even though I have the issues, but say take something like Preacher, for example, like I have all of the Preacher trades and I will, you know, Preacher's my favorite comic book story of all time. Uh, I don't feel the need to go buy the hardcovers for some reason. I, well, I can't be some sort of sentimental attachment to your old, better worn trade <laughs> paperbacks that you've read a hundred times and will read again. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's that I for whatever reason, like that's the way that you read that book. And that's what it feels like. So I don't feel the need to make it any different. I know when Starman came out, there was in different order. It had been a nicer, you know, the Starman trades were odd. You couldn't tell which one was first. And right. yeah, exactly. they were mess they were all messed up and and that the hellboy stuff is a, a little the same way and they also the hellboy stuff's bigger like it's it's reprinted in a larger format but uh for the most i think what did i buy i bought ed brubaker's first 25 issues of captain america i bought that omnibus you know but it's I all at it as what am i a what am i going to want to read again and b what am i going to want to lend to people mm-hmm. and that's usually what i in terms of rebuying stuff i already read single issues and yeah. then outside of the stuff I read only in trade, you know, the, the stuff I mentioned earlier, have I'm you, rebuying a story I've read. Like, I got the Batman hardcover. I'm going to reread that for sure. Yeah. It's, have you it's have you slowed down or you think you're buying it as um, much? Because you buy a lot of series. I buy a lot of series. A lot of them just just, just end, so I don't yeah. have anything to replace them with yet, you know. I can see myself eventually a lot of these image series going to trade on them. Uh, see, I don't like, buy... I just got the original Rising trade number one this week. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to read it because I like trying more in bigger chunks. Yeah. Like I, I tend to not buy trades for like ongoing things unless I... I don't know. I, 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 I'm I cool. I like buying issues, actually, oddly enough. I just hate buying issues. I re- Fury Agent, I read in trade, just ended. Mm-hmm. DMZ, just, it's just ended. I read in trade. Northlanders, I read in trade, just ended. I'm down to like Walking Dead, Invincible, Unwritten, Sweet Tooth. Uh, I think those are the only ones I'm actually... Oh, Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good the only ones I'm reading for the first time in trade form. Mm-hmm. I always feel like that's a big risk. You know, it's it's twenty bucks. You don't know if it's going to be good. Like that's if, any that's anything. That's a I, no, but in issues, you can just buy two or three issues in a row and be like, I don't like this anymore. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think that's going to happen with Scalped. No, yeah. I don't. I don't either. I, Connor, I say hang on to the end with that one. <laughs> Scalped is one of the ones that I read in trade. So I don't know, I'm kind of done with it. That was what I was. You're kind of done with Scalped. You're over. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, gonna drop off. You're gonna drop off with two issues to go. Yeah. Just felt like it lost its top somehow. I did that. I stopped playing World of Warcraft when I was level fifty nine. Yeah, I dropped off a lost like that. I think I just didn't watch the last it, the last episode. I was like, "That's it. This is stupid." You have an email. You can use contact at ifanboy.com. We will read your email on the show if it's good, or we will answer it in our weekly letter column if it's good. And if it's not good, you will never hear from us again. <laughs> you won't even be able to download the show. Like, yeah, you just no, never no, hear the again. voicemails. Our first voicemail is familiar. Hi, John from Albuquerque again. I just was reading Flexman Tallow based upon your glowing review, and I loved it. And I noticed a joke that they use in it that you guys use a lot on the show. It's about newspapers writing articles, using a headline, and I believe this is, this is a direct quote from the book, Zap, Pow, Comics aren't just for kids anymore. And I'm pretty sure I've heard you guys use those exact words when making fun of mainstream, i.e. non-comics media, talking about comics. I just wonder if you got this joke from... Grant Morrison, or is, is the joke something Grant Morrison got from somewhere else? But was there ever an actual newspaper title that said, Zap, pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore? Thanks. 
I assume you've never seen an article on comic books ever. That, that exact headline has been written. Exact. I would say that I do not have a bigger pet peeve about comic books and media than this. And I have several. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I saw that in there, uh, which is you interesting. Get it from that, obviously, no. since Josh just read it. Yeah. For the uh, first time last month, but it's he, he did that because, and we did it because it's exactly that headline's been written numerous times, numerous, numerous, numerous times. It's That's, it's it's scary how many times that that unclever thing has made it past editors who apparently also never read anything else about comics. It comes up constantly. It, it's left over from 1966. It's, it's, it nothing makes me it's it's like an overarching thing of whenever you see an article written about comic books no matter how progressive the content of the story is it always starts off with something like that if not that exactly i just i've seen i saw one this week like it, it's it's it will not die you know Graham morrison was just hooked into that the same way we were and it's you know he wrote that in 1996 or earlier you know, and think of how long ago that was. We're still dealing with. I it. just I just googled Biff Bam Pow comics not for kids anymore. I got numerous. Just you can just scroll down the page. Yeah, not the exact Pow Biff comics not for kids. I mean, there's variations yeah. of it, but it's it's the same. It's the same thing. Just Google comics not for kids anymore, and you'll get numerous headlines. But don't because it'll make you very yeah very sad. Which is worse for comics? Do you think the the con- Perception that comics are for kids that won't die, or the sad nerd alone in the basement. Which is worse? They're both yeah. Bad. They're both related. I mean, they're both bad, but like, which one is? Well, they're is they're a, related in that the, the, the nerd in the basement is assumed to be the kid who wouldn't didn't grow right, up. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But uh, honestly, the guy in the basement is worse. Yeah. Yeah. because if people think they're for kids, at least they'll buy them for their kids and that will create comic book readers and they'll know or find out if they keep going that they, that, you know, that they can keep reading different kinds of comics, you know, as their, as their age advances. But if they're, they're just for sad, lonely nerd people, they have no shot, I guess. They're both Our bad. next voicemail is talking about a subject we just talked about a little bit in the email section. Hey guys, this is Dave calling from Washington, DC. Um, Getting excited about both the Spider-Man movie and the new Dark Knight movie, and I wanted to know which you guys will think you think will be more awesome uh, between the two because I don't know I'm just sort of equally excited about both of them. So maybe you guys uh, have some sort of insight about which is going to be better. Let me know. Bye. Which movie is going to be better? That's easy. Piranha 3D. <laughs> that already it was the sequel. I thought it was Piranha 3 Double D. Oh, that's right. 3D already came out. I saw it in the theater. It was spectacular. You botched your own joke, Patrick. I forgot about that. Uh, (laughs) We have no insight into which will be better, but, you know, obviously it's going to be Batman. Obviously. I I mean, if you've seen the other Batman movies, I think you can pretty much know what you're in for. Seems like a slam dunk. That's not to say Spider-Man doesn't look good. I think it looks really good. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for it, but, I mean. If you're asking me what I'm most excited to see, Spielberg's Lincoln, but I don't see what that has to do with this. Is that this year? Yeah. Well, it's, it's supposed to be. Is that the one where he hunts vampires? No. No. Pretty, no. <laughs> no. I get so sick of that question. Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. Good Lord. You know, I, I, I said this. About, I was probably the most excited for Avengers, and I wasn't even that excited about that until sort of right beforehand, and then I had fun with it. I feel a little like, God, I feel like I just walked out of the Dark Knight. That's how... <laughs> 
that's how relentless that movie was. Yeah, and it's like, of course, Dark Knight has to have more anticipation because that's the final act of the story. Mm-hmm. Like the Spider-Man one's a reboot. It'll be fun. But we all know the story of Spider-Man. We know what the lizard's about. We know the arc between him and Gwen Stacy and the movie mm-hmm. will do it differently. But they'll do it. It'll be like, how much can they make this like the comics that everybody loves, but slightly differently than when they did it before three years ago? Right. And so, but with Dark Knight Rises, we're legitimately getting something that we don't know what's yeah. going to happen. And that's way more exciting for me mm-hmm. as, a, as a viewer. And I know they're not viewers, but. Oh, you can't. Whoa. Wow. Nice one. <laughs> Whoa. I agree. I think, I think the big. I was talking to somebody about this before. And the thing is, you know, totally what you're going to get from the movie. You know, the world you're in. And you know, the characters for the most part. But you just, you just don't know how the story's going to end, which is good and scary. I see Lincoln does not have a release date yet. I'll wait. <laughs> uh, I'm fine with that. Okay, I changed my answer to the Brave. I think that just comes says out this 2012. Year. It doesn't say what date. Yeah, that. you're more excited for Brave than Dark Knight Rises. The one thing about like I, I really enjoyed the Dark Knight and I appreciate it, but I kind of I've tried to watch it a couple times since then, and it, it requires an immense amount of concentration, and and it's sort of just depressing. And I kind of don't want to feel like that again. If that if that makes any sense, that's weird. Because I can, you, I think you can put it on the background. You don't have to concentrate on it if you know it. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I I just like like tonally, it's not it's not my it's not really my type of movie. I just I don't I like it. I think it's really good. I I enjoyed it, but I do I I don't necessarily feel like I need more. Because in the same way, I feel like I've been there and done that a little bit. I know that it's a third chapter. I'm totally gonna go see it. And it's fine. But am I really excited about it? No, not really. And I'm definitely. Like, even more so with Spider-Man. I'm just like, oh, they're going to do that again. Like, it's not exciting me for whatever reason. Yeah, see, I've considered just trying to sleep until July. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see something new. Like, that was when we went to see Avengers. That was like a new thing. I mean, it was a combination of things that had been done before, but it was a a new thing. And that was really exciting to me about it. It was a thing we hadn't seen. But that's what Chris Nolan's going to do with Rises, is it's going to be new in a way that you're not even expecting. This is the this is his prestige act of the three-part magic trick that will be the Dark Knight trilogy. Man, I want to watch the Prestige again. There you go. That's what, that's what I'm looking forward to. Prestige David, three. D- David Bowie's going to show up in the middle of Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. with a some sort of Deus Ex Machina. It's going to be great. Yeah. If you have a question, you can call us eight 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 fanboys three two six two six nine seven. And Josh, tell us about some shows we got coming up. Oh man, podcasts out your ass. That's what's happening here on Mondays. There's the Don't Miss podcast. We tell you about a book that's going to be coming out that Wednesday that you don't want to miss. Paul will be talking to Curtis J. Weeby of Grim Leaper. Weeby also wrote a bunch of other stuff, Green Wake and, and Peter Panzerfaust. He is he's on a tear, is what he is. You got to watch out for this guy. Uh, they're going to be talking about that new book. Yet another series from Image that comes out. Every Wednesday, there's the Make Comics podcast, where myself and former editor and head of comics experience, Andy Schmidt, talk about issues as related to making comics and breaking into comics, from the business to the technical to the craft to all sorts of things. We pick something and talk about it for a little while, and, and generally feel like there's, there's a whole lot left to say, but we try to give you a start on it. And then finally, there will be a spate of Talksplodes. Those are the, the our interview podcasts coming up. This last week, you would have heard me talking to Tim Seeley, writer, artist of many, many things, creator of Hackslash, a new writer on Witchblade. He's got a new series at Image coming out with uh, Mike Norton Revival. And uh, we, him and I talked for, for about an hour, and it was a really good conversation about a guy who's got one of the more unique careers in, in mainstream comics today. Um, he's really got to build a, a niche for himself. Uh, next week, roundtable conversation between myself and cartoonists uh, Chris Schweitzer and Scott Chandler, who both do sort of all-ages, cartoony-looking historical graphic novels. 
not necessarily all ages, but uh, I talked with them for a while too. And that was, that was another great conversation. And then next week I got another really cool one coming up. So hang around for those. I do a podcast. You do. I do. Every week it comes out. You have eight seconds. <laughs> okay. Science sort of, uh, science is the website where you can find my podcast. I do a podcast called science sort of, it is a show that has discussions about things that are science, things that are sort of science and things that wish they were science. We have a drink. We talk about science. Last week we did an audio commentary to the 2009 JJ Abrams star Trek. It was lots of fun and <laughs> lots of bad science explained. I think you might enjoy it. And you're not a hobbyist. You're an actual scientist. It's my day job. Right. That's pretty it's, badass. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's what I'm about. Yeah. You, I, Stop I, it. Yeah, I don't I don't think that you, you can't you can't you're not you don't have the points for that. You can check out ifanboy.com for Josh's pick of the week review and soon you'll be able to read my book of the month review and all of our weekly comics discussion topics articles. Ryan writes a weekly column. We got all kinds of things going on at ifanboy.com including that fanboy.com slash about where you can see the staff and you can see our social network links and you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash ifanboy and stay in touch on ifanboy.com. Uh, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash iFanboy. I see the F and I go into iFanboy. It's fair. That's what happens. It's fair. FA, it should be a F-A for Facebook. I go into iFanboy. It should be a big F. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You can email us at contact at iFanboy or leave us a voicemail at 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697 with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, whatever. I got to say, the grouping of emails and voicemails this week, very strong. If you dig us, write a review on iTunes, or better yet, tell your friends about us. Introduce your moms to podcasts and spread the iFanboy word. I told my mom today, I was like, Mom, I can't I can't do that thing this afternoon. I have to record a podcast. That's one way you can tell your mom. She was like, what's a podcast? Oh, she likes science, sort of. She's a fan. That's what she tells you, sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that show you do. I downloaded on my Zune. <laughs> we have two reviews on Zune. Really? <laughs> yeah. People still have Zunes? Apparently, you can still buy them. <laughs> can you? Lots of money. They're it's way like, too much. They're like $400 for a Zune. For a Zune? <laughs> it's something absurd like that. <laughs> I want something that can play MP3s that isn't compatible with anything. It looks like a garage door opener. What do you got for me? That's right. I just did a tech joke. When I was a kid, you could buy a pack of Johnny Smacks for 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just walk into the corner store and he'd be like, two, two, give me two. Holy shit, Ryan is not wrong. $500 for a Zune. Are they like on the collector's market? No, on Amazon. <laughs> on Amazon. 120 gigabyte Zune. $500. Yeah. Like new or like like old new. stock? Not gilded in gold, not so, dipped in the blood of Because I could Zunes see like regular. I could see like like some stalwarts who are who hate iPods and are just like have put the Zune into like you know how like records are now more yeah, yeah, expensive. Yeah, people that hate Apple such a passion that they'll use a Zune even though it sucks. And pay way more for it because it's what's well, better. It's got a, the low end is is a lot stronger. The low the end is three hundred nineteen dollars. Hmm. Hmm. So really, those two reviews that I have are is like a thousand dollars worth of reviews. Oh yeah, those are those are prime. Those are those are the people you want. It's like West Wing audience reviews. Yeah, <laughs> two of the most boring reviews I've ever read. They're, they're the I, kind. Of, they sought after demo. They're the kind of people who buy Vol- Volvos and BMWs. That's what you want. Yeah. Not not like our listeners. Not like the people listening to this. Real bunch of bunch. <laughs> 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 We're you know we got a bunch of guys driving their old their mom's old used car and watching GI Joe DVDs in the basement. You know it's not they're demographic wise they're not worth anything. I didn't just call all of you useless. Damn it! Hey, on that note, um, <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Josh, and I'm sorry. I was just kidding. Jeez, guys.